Welcome to the Less True podcast presented by Gulf Food, the largest annual FMB sourcing event in the world. I'm your host, Jueria Hersey, bringing you compelling stories and insights to a wide range of topics in the food and drinks industry. From farming, behind the scenes, to the culinary world, and to foods we simply love to chew on. In this podcast series, we speak to people, brands, and businesses across the food and drinks spectrum to find out more about why they do what they do and how, in their own way, they're championing change and shifting the future of food and drink. Trust me, there's so much more, so listen to the Less True podcast on our website, gulffood.com, and subscribe to our newsletter for the latest updates in food. Welcome back to another episode of the Let's Chew podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Hersey. And on this episode, we have Chef Carlos Frunzi with us, a true embodiment of a third culture legacy and a second generation chef who's currently serving as the executive chef at Table, which is a farm to fork philosophy that has a vibrant menu that acknowledges the UAE's climate and landscape, offering seasonal ingredients in an effort to minimize its carbon footprint. Carlos is working as an activist for better food. Thank you for joining us, Carlos. Thank you guys for having me, honestly, thank you. That's really a beautiful introduction, I really love that. <laughs> I'm good. gonna steal that from you. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so um, just to get started and to get familiar with your background, from working with the army mm. to becoming a chef, how did it all start? Tell us about your <laughs> culinary journey. All right, so, um, I think when I was a kid, uh, I always wanted to be two things, the dream. I want to be a chef and I want to work for military intelligence. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to be a spy. Military <laughs> intelligence is different. Yeah, but uh, I was like, I want to be in the military intelligence. And I don't know, uh, my granddad from my father's side, because he has a military background, and my grandfather from my mom's side, he have a chef background. Okay. Both of them influenced me. And I think when I was 17, I finished the military school and my granddad told me and my dad and my mom, they're like, listen, I think you need to go to military. Proceed the career. It will suit you very well with your body type and the way you look like. Be really good at this. And I was like, yeah, sure. And well, I spent three and a half years serving. Uh, have a lot of injuries after three and a half years. I've spent in Afghanistan. I spent in uh, Ukraine the first war, uh, then I spent some time in Thailand, then I spent time a lot of in Afghanistan, a lot okay. in Afghanistan. And after coming back, I mean, like I have injuries, I have a broken spine, I have a problem with my head over here, I have a shoulder, a broken shoulder and this, uh, dislocated shoulder, broken shoulder and reconstructed shoulder in general. The whole shoulder is reconstructed. Oh, two wow. knees are reconstructed, uh, two hips are reconstructed. Uh, the elbow is reconstructed completely. And yeah, uh, I'm a bionic, uh, <laughs> half of it is metal. Um, wow. That's a funny thing. And I couldn't do anything anymore in the military because of all the breaking and everything. They were like, listen, we need to, to put you as a vet. And I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, took some time. I was like, I can do private military stuff. I can do something with private military. I did spend some time in private military. I think one year I worked for a private military company here in Dubai. 
I mean, in Middle East, not in Dubai, they're located in Middle East in general. I worked for them for a year, but wasn't satisfied because it was a desk job most of the time. And I was like, this is not my thing. I'm not a desk person. I need to do something. And I told my mom, I want to go study culinary. And she's like, okay, it's your choice, man. If you think you can pull it off, you can pull it off. So I went to Malaysia. Oh, well, actually, I want to study in Australia first time, but then I saw this small brochure and like, you know, the offices or where you go give the documents to study yes. outside of the country. Forgot the name of the offices. I saw the brochure study in Malaysia and I was like, Malaysia. I mean, like, I was like, how, how old I was I? Like, 21? I was a young kid, you know, I was like 21. Malaysia, I never heard about Malaysia before. I'm like, what, what, what they do? Like, what, what is it what about? Is it? <laughs> what it's all about? I took the pressure, I read it down, and I was like, I, I really like the place. And I was like, I love the country. It looks really beautiful, greenery. And I was, I live in Dubai and I grew up in Dubai all my life. And you know, you miss kind you of miss, greenery. Yeah, yeah like, I want to go there. So I went to Malaysia. I took me four years to finish diploma, degree, and the masters. It took me four years to finish. Because in what I like about Malaysian system, education system, you actually can combine like all subjects at one year. You have 22 subjects oh. to finish within two years, or you can take one subject and finish within one year. It's your choice, but you need to pass it. Well, okay, my diploma was not really good grades, I'll tell you straight. It's really bad grades. But my, my, my bachelor, I need to pull it off. And the bachelor took me like almost one and a half year. And the master's. And after that, yeah, after that, I was like, well, I don't know what to do. And I have an opportunity in Malaysia to work in Malaysia in the, one of the like greatest hotels over there, Majestic Hotel. So I worked there for two and a half years. And uh, yeah, two and a half years worked there for some time. Then I have an opportunity to go to California, work in California, work sometimes in California with Thomas Keller. After that, moved to New York, then from New York to London. Then I decided to come back to Dubai. Okay. Yeah, I was like, you know what, it's time for me to come back to Dubai. So I came back to Dubai and uh, first job I got here was Tom in Search. That was like 2011, end of 2011, I think, yeah. Somewhere like October or November, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I worked with them and just started to look at the restaurants, at the homegrown restaurants. Don't want to work with a big companies, don't want to work with the hotel, just want to work with something that is homegrown. And I was like, after all, Dubai is my home. I need to find something interesting to support the country and support the culture. And probably that's way how, from army, I've become a chef. And what brought you to table? Um, I met Peter uh, one time, uh, actually through my uh, supplier, okay. uh, Marianne, uh, which is, I use her all the time. She does cresses and flowers. And she gave me a call and she's like, I know that you're looking for a new job and you're living, you left your job previous. And she's like, um, do you ever heard about Peter? And I was like, no, I don't know who Peter is. And she's like, you know, Frame. And I was like, oh yeah, the skating shop place. They sell skates. And she's like, yeah, where is the Yui also? And I was like, yeah, yeah I know. And she's like, do you want to meet him up? Because he have a one concept. And I think you'll be the right person to suit in. Because um, when I opened the restaurant over here with my friend Nasser, uh, me and Nasser and Scott in Surf House, we opened a single fin. We were a very local-based restaurant. We tried to do everything locally. And it was quite difficult. It was really hard for us. Because back like in, 2000, in 2013, sorry. So yeah, 2014, my fault. 2014 was really difficult to find local items. But there was a farms, but really small amount. 
And that's where I met Marianne and I was using a lot of local items from her. That's why she has the idea that, okay, this guy wants to use a lot of local things. And I met Peter, she down with Peter and Peter told me, listen, I have this idea. I want to do a restaurant that based on local ingredients. And I was like, well, that sounds crazy. I was like, how local are we looking like? How local ingredients, like how many percentages we're talking about? And he's like, I don't know, you're a chef, figure out. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, maybe we can do MENA, like Middle East regions, you know, yeah. like, it's like North Africa also, like Morocco, to Tunisia. And, and he's like, yeah, of course, Lebanon and Jordan, we do that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So yeah, and yeah, he just told me and yeah, I signed up with him and I was like, okay, listen, this is really cool. I really like what you're doing. It's an amazing thing, the idea of it. And me and him literally for the beginning of open our restaurant, I think it was September, October, November, December, for five months, we've been driving me and him to different farms, looking for different products, what we can find. Locally. Locally, yeah. Like we're talking about Charger, Ajiman, Alain on like a Peter doesn't own a big car. He owns Mini Cooper. I have a small car also. So imagine <laughs> this <two> small car <laughs> shaking. But yeah, it, it, it's it's a fun time. You know, like with with the owner, you drive around to see this pl places, yeah. and and he's excited like a kid. I'm excited like a kid. Both of us like a little kids. <laughs> road trip. <laughs> yeah, road trips, and with my other chefs, and we were just road trip. Yeah, and yeah, it was fun. I mean, like honestly, we found uh, we found so many suppliers. Uh, he. Because I was like, listen, Peter, I think we need to use different beef. Because he's like, we have lamb, we have chicken. But and Peter was like, we need beef, cow beef, because customers like beef, and like they like steak. And I was like, listen, I can't find anything here with the beef and the supplier wise. And Peter is like, oh, give me one week. And uh, I got sick, I got COVID, I was at home. Yeah. And he went to travel to Alain alone and he found a farm called Oryx Farm. It's a huge farm uh, that actually do oryx meat, lamb, and they do cows. And they give us the cow meat, we tried it. Like when you cook it as a steak, it's really bad. But when you eat it raw, it tastes better than anything in this world. When you eat it raw. Yeah, like, like you do tartar or carpaccio. Yeah. It's really good. And we don't eat it raw, we dry it, we air brine it, we call it. Like drying it to remove all the moisture from the meat. and. Uh, then uh, from there just started, you know, like, just let's, let's look for other farms. Let's, let's not like not give up and just look other places. So what would you say was the most challenging thing, finding the local um, farms? Um, be honest with you, uh, chicken, <laughs> good quality chicken. <laughs> good quality chicken, okay. <laughs> Sounds really bad. Because most of the people doesn't know that when half of the chicken here in Dubai comes like 60%, maybe 75% comes from Brazil or from UK or, or from New Zealand. That's it. Or South Africa, but that's it. I mean, like, it's a, such an easy animal, like as a pet, and I mean, like as an animal farm, it's easy animal to feed. It's not a cow. Yeah. It's like a one small chicken. You just need like five chickens and you need a one rooster and you'll be fine. And I never could understand why they couldn't do that. But we found a farmer who actually I mean, like he has a small vegetable farm also, but he also very focused on game, poultry. He has pigeons, uh, quails, uh, guinea fowls, chicken and turkeys and gooses. 
Yeah, I don't like his gooses, but like rest of the way, it's so delicious. It's so good. But yeah, it was the chicken was difficult because it took us, it took me to and Peter to almost two and a half months. Is it easier now? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we we supply it because we like listen, we want to buy ten chickens from you and it, like per week, and he's like, the dude have like forty, like he have only twenty chickens, and he's like, I cannot give you ten chickens, but he's like, give me four months. So we were opened, we were using um, a big farm from Saudi. We were growing in chicken from Saudi, but now 100% starting last July, no, yeah, June, Ju on July, we started bringing local chicken, only local chicken from now on, which is beautiful chicken, tastes good. I mean, not saying like other chickens are bad, but it's just quality. Quality wise, wise it's the, what it eats, the, chi the chicken it eats, it eats alfalfa. His chicken eats alfalfa and dates. It makes taste sweet. Meat tastes so sweet. Chicken likes dates. Raw dates. Well, that's something I learned today. Okay, and uh, how would you describe your cooking or creative style? Because you are a third culture kid. <laughs> and what does, like, how, what drove you to sustainable um, ways of cooking? Um, well, I describe my style of cooking, I call it renegade cuisine or offbeat cuisine. Okay. Because, I mean, like, I grew up in Dubai. I have friends from Emiratis, Indians, sometimes Mexicans, sometimes Russians, and sometimes Chinese, sometimes Japanese friends. And imagine they go to their houses or we go to the restaurants, we go outside. The whole week I will eat different food. And when I come home, my mom asks me what I want. And of course I would say, I want everything. So it's, it's, it's honestly, it's just a, when I call it renegade cuisine, I mean like it's kind of like a bistronomy that I like to play around with everything. I don't like specify, but if people ask me, I call it modern cuisine. It's modern, something modern and different and unique. And what about your passion for sustainability? For sustainability, probably working uh, in the kitchens, big kitchens, big restaurants, big hotels. I mean, like I work in a hotel only my, my career, whole my, my life career when I, work in a hotel only one time in the majestic hotel, but that's, that's it. But working in the big kitchen and seeing how much stuff was wasted and I always think differently. And that's why military liked me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I always think differently, even with the food, I saw the people throwing this and that, and I'll be like, listen, I can make the, I can make salsa out of this. Oh, I can make oil out of that. I can make fermented something with this, the, the watermelon, I can pickle them and I can eat them and I put them in a salad. And when I told to that time back to executive and headdress, they laugh at me. They're like, just don't. Not Quality. And they say it's not possible. They say it's customers. They will never choose to eat that. And I was like, but we need to change it. It's, it's, it depends on us, who we are. It, it was in my head that time. And I start to, my previous, like my previous, previous work, I mean, like three years ago, I worked for His Excellency, one of excellencies here in Dubai as a private chef, but I ended up becoming his director of his whole businesses food beverage businesses because uh, he does different stuff but yeah and he, he gave me take care of his kitchens and take care of his own kitchen with 20 something chefs and i saw how much wastage they're going through and i was like we cannot do that and his daughter she was so nice she's like i don't like this wastage please chef find a way to make that we don't throw things out and i was like yeah i can do that and it started with them then slowly started in the summer restaurants in some hotels. Then it just in generally start to move on with me, or even at home. Uh, I don't throw the the bottles from peanut butter jars. I collect <laughs> them. Can. Yeah. I started to do that stuff and I started like, listen, I told my wife, 
we need to do something different with the, how we eat and we don't do this and we start to stop throwing it and sometimes we just dehydrate things like the carrot pills we make carrot chips out of it we dehydrate it we put some sugar mix it up date sugar she eats it now she loves it oh, or cool. yeah, yeah like when we make like um uh the kale you know the stem of the kales yeah. i make pesto out of it i love that stuff it's just so delicious one of the ways is you've mentioned fermentation can you tell us a little bit more about your relationship with fermentation. Oh, I, I'm, I'm in love with that thing. Yes. I love that thing do so you have much. A fermentation <laughs> <I have> a <laughs> lab? <laughs> no, I, I wish I do. I, in <laughs> the future, day. I will. One day okay. in the future. I, I just love it. I, I, it's, it started with the, when I did my bachelor degree culinology, it was one semester. I mean, like it started when I was a kid, first of all, with my grandfather from Russian side, because he was a chef. He, a lot of, he liked to pickle and ferment things. But he's pickling and fermentation, it was vegetables wise. And when like we have a big drawer and you can see like bottles, five liters, three liters, jars, jams and stuff from the previous summer. And like imagine in the middle of Russia, I come from Rostov and Rostov on Don is like a really cold country, <laughs> really cold. It's like a minus 20 in oh. December. Right now it's snowing 100% probably. Now, I don't know, maybe it's raining, but I'm just joking. But yeah. <laughs> in December it's minus 20. How are you gonna find strawberries during that winter? And it's not Moscow where you can go in supermarket and buy strawberries. I mean, it's it's in the middle of Russia and we spend time, I, I, I spend time living in Dubai, but summertime I spend going to my granddad and wintertime I, like, I go to my dad in Mexico, in Acapulco or Argentina, because he lives in Argentina, my granddad. The winter time, I go to my grandfather from my Russian side. And the winter time, you'd be like, spend one week, one month there, celebrate the New Year's or Christmas time with him. And you'd be like, where you can find strawberries? There's no supermarket. And if you find strawberries in supermarket, they tremendously money cost. They like cost like, I don't know, $20 for, uh, for five pieces. And you'd be like, nobody want to buy that. And that's why my, my grandfather was frozen, uh, doing the jam and preservations. And imagine middle winter, you just put it on your bread and you eat it and you just enjoy that. And you'd be like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> Never run out. Yeah. But then I kind of like forget about it. But then when I did the culinology in Malaysia, um, we, uh, one of our subject was about bacteria and fermentation. It was so interesting that I went so deep to it. And I was like, I can ferment everything. I didn't know that. I was like, because I, from, from, for me, for my grandfather, it was just vegetables. Yeah. What you can do with meat, you can do with rice, you can do with nuts, you can do with pulses, you can do with beans, you can do with uh, so many things. And I was like, wow. And I started to experiment in the kitchen in back in college days. And in my home also, and when I was living alone, I was such just experimental stuff. Tried to find ways, tried things, and I tried things. And I was like, man, this is delicious. This, this, this is different. I was like, I need to make my trademark to just be as a chef who wants to just do fermentation. And I mean, I try to put everywhere, wherever I work, try to put fermentation there a tiny bit, tiny bit. And Peter gave me this Johnson table, make it work. He just told me, make it work. And I told him, listen, I'm gonna make a bread shoyu. And he's like, what is the bread shoyu? I was like, I need soy sauce. I love soy sauce. I cannot live without soy sauce. <laughs> I was like, I need to cook with soy sauce. And he's like, yeah, okay, no problem. But don't use soya from Japan or from China. Just make your own. Can we find soya beans here? I say, no, it's not impossible to grow here soya beans. And my pastry chef, a lot of breads experiments with sourdough to make best sourdough. And we have a lot of sourdough, stale sourdough. 
I take stale sourdough, I take goji, fermented, bam. You have a bread choy, you have a bread soy sauce. Like a soy sauce, it's not a soy sauce. It's not a soy okay. It tastes like <laughs> soy sauce. That's even better. Yeah, and then okay. I, I add the dates. As long as it tastes like soy yeah, sauce. Yeah, that's how my fermentation become with love. Like, I mean, honestly, and through that, I understand I can actually do zero wastage through fermentation. I don't need to like, you know, like, cause zero wastage is good, but you know, sometimes uh, when you accumulate zero wastage in the chiller, you don't really know what you want to do with it. In the sense of like, you have like 10 kilos of it and yeah. you don't know what to do with it. And you'd be like, oh, I cannot feed my customers with that. So I need to come up with something for next season to feed them with this. So like examples, orange pills, we made orange vinegar from out of it. We made orange oil. We made uh, yuzu kosho, which is not Japanese, but we made our own version of it. We call it orange kosho. We put chili out of it on the zest and we make like kind of like a, our own, think about it, fermented chili citrus paste. Tastes insane, tastes amazing. That's really cool, fermentation. Yeah, fermentation is amazing. It makes yeah. something into something else. So um, how do you think that's changing our eating habits then? Like in the sense of uh, for, for customers for from in my restaurant? Yes. Um, I mean, like it's, it's, it's good. It's good to have fermentation in your stomach. Well, most right. of the things you drink today, like do you have a coffee today in the morning? Yes, of course. That's fermented. Do you have a chocolate? Not yet. But yeah, that's fermented. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fermented. Okay. But it's each fermentation is different answers. Because right now, big companies, they do coffees, they ferment them to not produce alcohol. Mm. And they stop fermentation in specific temperature. Or when they make chocolates, they don't want to make chocolate to, to be too chocolatey, like let's say too, too much cacao flavor. They stop it and they put adding sugars. But fermentation in general, it goes back in like, we're going back in the days. It's good for your diet. It's good for your gut to clean your gut. So most of the things what we do in table, we're trying to be also healthy wise. Like, okay, we ferment this. Okay, but how we can make it that it will be healthy for our customer consumer to eat that. So it, it's important part where uh, example is just this orange kosho. Um, that thing have 100 billion bacteria. So if I put just a small amount for you on your dish, you have a healthy bacteria gut. That's really cool. Okay, and uh, what if uh, a chef is just getting started or they want to move towards a more sustainable or zero waste concept or approach? What would you advise them? I'll advise them to look through the menu, first of all, because it's important when you create a restaurant and you open a restaurant, you need to look through the menu, what you can use. Don't look at vegetable as just a vegetable. Look at it of everything. Because in table, what we do, we take a, um, name any vegetable. Tomato. Name, tomato. We look at the tomato. Yeah, tomato. Okay. Yeah. We look at the tomato. We take the skin. We make vinegar out of it. The flesh. We serve it as a salad. The seeds and the pulp. I mean, they call them pulps. We use them for making our sauces, and we ferment those. So that's 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 the whole thing, and the green thing, the green top. We don't throw it. We, we boil it, we dehydrate it, and we make it into a powder, and we put in your salad. Oh. That's a 100% vegetable used. Zero waste. Exactly, you don't need to make perfect. I don't believe in perfection. Do not believe in perfection. Perfection does not exist. 
it doesn't exist in the kitchen. Maybe in some places, yes, but not in the kitchen. <laughs> I don't think anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't exist. But you can be so good about it. Take one tomato and make this into something interesting. And by imagine you have 10 tomatoes, you can do something else. It, it goes everywhere. I mean, like, except the pumpkin pills. Pumpkin pills, I'm still researching on that. Okay. Taking me time, but like, it's been like a one year. I mean, like, it took me one year to research what I can do with it, but I think I have an idea. When in general, you cannot use the pumpkin skin, but we're trying to use it to make out of it the chips for customers to eat it. That's cool. And uh, like at table, there's no two menus are the same and ingredient driven dishes take a lot of time and research. Yes. So where do you find your inspiration? <laughs> I don't know. And how do you come up with the menu before? I honestly like, don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I don't have an answer to that. I just, I, I take a vegetable, I look at the vegetable and I think what I can do with it. I mean, like, spot. yeah, yeah, on the spot. Like the motivation and all that inspiration comes from the vet, from the ingredient. That's okay. why I say for the young chefs, look at the menu, look at your vegetable. You don't need to, okay, yeah, you, you might put some expensive items like caviar. I love that thing. I mean, yeah. like half Russian, it's my <laughs> favorite thing. Um, but you can make interesting stuff. For example, when you make your own yogurt, you have left with whey what you can do with whey. Whey is like a water that from the liquid of dairy. I can tell you five things right now. You can make caramel, you can make jelly, you can make uh, puree. In your any purees, you just put the whey, it gives you a nice flavor instead of butter to not make it fatty. You make it lighter. You can make a puree, you can make uh, ice cream or a granita out of whey, or you can make oil out of whey. So it's a, it's a just, it's byproduct of another product, but don't throw it, use it. Use it. I mean, like we do yogurts, where we put our way. Previous menu, it was a caramel. It was a caramel and it was jelly and a puree. We added in purees. This menu, it will be oils. But what is like the challenge to, to, to approach things sustainable? Like I'm sure there is some, yeah, of course, there's a challenge. What um, would you say? With the f with, with ingredients, it's very easy, understandable. There is no challenge. It's just how your mind is, what you want to do it, and what you can do it as a chef. But we're talking about plastic. Mm. Uh, I try to remove plastic in my kitchen. Whatever I do, I try it. It's impossible for me to remove plastic. Instead of uh, my plastic containers, I start to use metal containers. They last longer, they're much more better, they have a good storage. Cling film or cling wrap, whatever you call it. How I can make it, remove it? I cannot, so I need to use reusable ones. So whenever I use it, I throw it in the garbage, I throw it in a specific garbage. I don't throw it with the food wastage, or I don't throw it with anything. I throw it, plastic is a plastic. Find a different company that use reusable plastics. So it, this challenges a face over there, the most important thing, it's just, what materials you can use for the kitchen. For example, we ha we call this G-cloth. Um, it's, it's, it's a slang, kitchen slang. We call it G-cloth. G-cloth. Yeah, G-cloth. Okay. <laughs> a G-cloth, uh, proper name in English, it's called uh, single-use cloth. Okay. A lot of restaurants using that. We try to not to use that because it's made of plastic, 80% of it. 
I mean, it's a material, very like a like a cotton material, like a like a normal material, but it's a plastic material. Oh. So we tried to remove that completely. But what we found that I mean, like we and DM asking to use that. I mean, like DM gives a lot of problems also. But what I like about DM, they also gives you solutions to that. I mean, like you cannot use G cloth. You need to use G cloth, and you will tell them, but are we sustainable restaurant? They're like. Oh, okay, listen, if you're a sustainable restaurant, there is a sustainable suppliers. Okay. And they give you like... A suggestion. suggestion. Like, they yeah. give you suppliers names. They give you a list of suppliers who is, is sustainable. And you'll be like, oh, we don't know that they even exist here. And you'll be like, oh, this guy is located in Shakeside Road. Oh man, I always look around, what is that? <laughs> and you'll be like, man, this guy's amazing. And you'll be like, thank you guys. And you'll be like, and it works, it helps. And they helps. The most challenge is, like in general, what we face in table, it's how we can use it and also inform DM and inform our customers that, listen, we're using this, we're using that. Um, we're trying to be, it's it, most challenges information, let's put it that way, to tell people, yeah, we don't have this, we don't have that. Like customers ask, well, why don't have this? Why don't have that? And you'd be like, like for example, tissues on the table. We don't use tissues. We use linen, which is good. Yeah. And you would tell them because tissues, it's a paper, it's a wastage, and like most of the papers and tissues are made eighty percent out of plastic again. And you'd be like, "Come on, guys, let's just be a little bit very more sustainable sense, here." Yeah, sustainable here. And you'd be like trying to explain. It's, it, it's in general it's information to tell people about it. Just be more transparent. Yeah. Yeah, and. Um, Michelin Guide and Gold Malo were recognized by uh, Table, and you being in the industry, especially in this market, Dubai for a long time, how do you envision Dubai's culinary scene developing? It's changing rapidly, rapidly changing. I mean, like there's a lot of Japanese still places. I'm not disrespecting Japanese <laughs> a lot. They need to slow down on that part. Um, <clears throat> they need to give chance to other cuisine to shine, honestly. Um, it's rapidly changing. Um, service need to be improved through the years. I mean, like after Michelin coming, service is an important thing here for Michelin. Um, the food, how we look at the food, what we're gonna eat and how we're gonna eat. I'm really glad that Michelin actually recognized restaurant like Low with the Green Star, you know? I'm very happy with that because it says that Michelin sold a restaurant that have, deserve a Green Star, Good. you know? and. It shows to other chefs like me and other chefs who is supporting sustainability. I know there's so many chefs here. I, I mean, like I can count them in my fingers. There's so many chefs here who is supporting sustainability. They want to be sustainable. And it's just information again. They need to put it down. They need to put it on social media and show it that Dubai, that we actually can be. I mean, like we, we're fast, rapid growing city. Like we're growing in, I mean, not just Dubai, but the whole UAE itself. Yeah. We're growing so fast and our culinary scene is growing more faster. So we need to just show them like we can do it. It's possible. We just need to be stop being, stop being lazy and just make f make what we want, make a, a stamp on it. Just, just show what we can do it. And you've just mentioned that you're working with, uh, you can mention a lot of chefs that you yeah. know here. And I think you're working with uh, Chef Folly, I think. Yes. At Folly. 
for the um yes bohbon yeah. chef bohbon yes. yes he's a new executive so can, of you, the, can you tell us a little bit more of how you're working with homegrown chefs here I, I, and I, how do you promote and make it more I, i'm always I, I always support homegrown stuff i i think it's the best thing ever i mean like i don't have a like a problem with brands yeah I, I don't i just i like something that you know it's something someone who come like bon bin bin in dubai i think maybe 10 years he told me something like that he's been here in dubai he worked with foley for a long time and he's become an executive chef of that place it's, it's exciting because he himself is from different country he's in here and he's bringing his country culture foot into seeing what he's doing and it's so interesting you know you'd be like oh wow that's really beautiful what he does i mean like our our collab was he made this a beautiful dish with rabbit and i was like stuff local it's a local rabbit by the way they also do local stuff and i'm so proud of that i was so amazed when he's his kitchen is i mean like maybe 60 to 70 percent is local and you'd be like damn this boy is amazing <laughs> he's it yeah. means there is a change yeah you can see and a big name like foley doing that means it's possible everything is possible and how he did the dishes with the stuffed rabbit and the stuffed chicken mousse i'm mean, sorry sorry stuffed rabbit with the rabbit mousse and he used the liver and he used the guts to make mousse out of it i was like zero wastage the bones he made into jew literally the whole rabbit was used in that collab that. wow and you'll be like this is beautiful yeah that's beautiful I was so, I was impressed as a chef by him. I was like, "Damn, man!" I was like, "I need I need that." I was like, "This is beautiful, man." I like how people think differently, and I can see also like Orfalis Mohammed, how he changes his menus, how he is looking really differently on the menu. Also, the Moonrise Suleiman, zero wastage. He thinks about that. He be like, "Oh, that's cool. I can do this. I can do that, and I can do that." It's amazing, like all these homegrown chefs here, even Chef Russell, executive chef of a huge hotel group, he puts in his kitchens to do that. And you'd be like, man, if this guy makes, that means everyone can make it. You, you don't I think be, more and more people are just yeah, going to go yeah, towards for, that. Of course, 100%. That be the trend. I, I don't think it's going to be, that's not a trend. No, I think that's sustainable, should, like that's, not a that's trend. trend. Yes, <laughs> this needs to be forever yeah, and ever. Forever. Stays. Just like the. That's the norm. Yeah, because after all, it's for our future. I mean, yeah. like our kids, other people's kids, it's important. Because after all, when, I mean, like you and I would die. Yeah. But our generations will stay here. What we're going to leave them? A dirty planet? Mm. No, we want to leave them a nice, beautiful planet that stays there. And they are enjoying that life also. That's the most That's important true. thing. Yeah. And um, if a restaurant is about to open a restaurant, or is trying to renovate a new concept. Mm. What do you think is, what, what do you think the market needs right now? What are customers or like everybody moving towards? What cuisine? <laughs> more Japanese? No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's a joke. You made it clear, no more Japanese. <laughs> no. um, something modern and different. Something modern and different. Uh, like for me, I probably think people need more of Arabic cuisine. I mean, like after all, we're in the Middle East. Show me something different. Make me Arabic food that I'll be like, wow. Like, our father, man. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know? Amazing. But I want to see more. Or Emirati cuisine. I want to see Emirati cuisine. I want to be see innovative Emirati cuisine. cuisine. I mean, like, I love Emirati food. I mean, like, honestly, I grew up and I have a lot of Emirati friends. I go to their houses. I eat their food. 
My favorite thing is a Mali biryani. It's a fermented tuna that with biryani with rice. Yeah, when I talk to the people, people like it's disgusting, but I love <laughs> that thing. I'm like, I want to see that in the menu, but innovative way. I want to see, I want to try it. Like for me, it's Emirati cuisine, Arab cuisine in general, like the whole of it, the Middle East, including the North Africa, also like Morocco, Tunisia, Egypt, like it's all combined, but more innovative way. I mean, like, do not mess with classics, but make it something different and unique. Innovate. Yeah. Beautiful. And uh, this is the final one. Uh, who would you, who would your dream dinner guest be? And what would you cook for them? I mean, like a stars, like celebrity stars. Up or, to you. Oh, oh, for sure, I would like to cook for Tupac. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah but that's that's hundred percent. I don't think that's gonna. That's, <laughs> that's a dream for that's sure. That's a dream. Yeah. Um, no, but um, for me, challenge customers. Customers who give me a challenge. That's a dream. Last minute. I mean, I do hate that, but then when you pull it out in the last minute, and you be like, you be like. I such I a good job <laughs> in a second and and I love that I honestly love that and like in the beginning of my career I hate that but now I can probably say last minute changes I love this love I love this and what would you cook um three dishes yeah or how many yeah. three, dishes, three dishes <laughs> three dishes uh, I love I love lamb lamb for sure something with lamb maybe like a tartar there's no yet lamb tartar I've seen in Dubai, and I'm scared to put, I'll be honest with you, because I don't know how people will react on a raw lamb. Um, second will be some nice, beautiful vegetable dish, mushrooms, I love mushrooms, my favorite thing. Just like, just beautiful mushrooms that are, grow over here locally, for sure. And the last one, dessert, um, ice cream. What kind of ice cream? Oh, my executive pastry chef, Chef Shirin, she made uh, olive oil ice cream using Tunisian olive oil. Mm. That thing tastes so good. I have a people, I have some, my owners, we have an argument. They were like, this is not a dessert. And I was like, this is dessert. Like, this is not, this is out of this world. And I was like, but that's the dessert. Because she put sea salt on top of it. Probably that will be the last one. Honestly, that thing is so delicious. No, it's like olive oil and, and, and just sea salt. That would be the best. Wow, that's, um, I'm getting hungry now. Um, so before we wrap up this episode, which was really good, um, if you have one message to leave with our listeners or where they can follow your journey, please go ahead. Oh, you can follow me on my Instagram, Chef de Garza, uh, table also. And last message, just let's think locally probably. Think differently if, as a chef, think differently as a chef. And think locally. Yeah, think locally. Be more sustainable. Sure. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Thanks again for joining us, Chef Thank Carlos. Um, it was a great pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our Let's Chew podcast as much as I have. And if you did, please share and leave us a review. Bye for now.